Hello, race fans, and welcome to the Pittsburgh Racing Now podcast. I am your host, Scott Stiller. Thanks for finding us. We have a jam-packed show for you. Super excited to talk to third-generation racer Cy Lynch. You'll also get to hear from IndyCar star Tony Kanaan, who announced his plans for 2020, but we're going to start first on the local front. Joining us on the <laughs> Pittsburgh Racing Now podcast is the director of the Rush Racing Series, Vicki Eming. Vicki, thanks for taking time out of your day to talk with us. No, we really appreciate uh, you giving us a call and uh, look forward to talking to you about, about Rush. Excellent. For the folks at home who aren't familiar with Rush, can you explain exactly what you guys do? The Rush Racing Series is a GM performance crate engine series that encompasses uh, many divisions uh, with the late models, the Rush late models as our heart. We also have uh, sportsman modified, wingless sprint cars, pro mod, e-mod type cars, and there's many, many um, GM performance uh, stock cars also through the region. We sanctioned some asphalt uh, stuff down at Jennerstown. And um, so that's kind of what we do. We are a GM performance crate engine racing series. So for the folks who aren't familiar with what the crate engine is, that's basically an engine that any racer can go buy at a GM store, but they're not allowed to modify it, correct? That's correct. GM produces different versions of the sealed, what we know as a crate engine. They come sealed from the factory. There's 602, 604, 525. And like you say, uh, racers and uh, people can get them anywhere across the country. It's basically a part number that they can get through GM dealerships. But of course, uh, we certainly hope that anybody involved with Rush supports uh, Sweeney Chevrolet and Pace Performance, uh, because without them, we certainly couldn't be doing what we're doing with the Rush Racing Series. And, and they do ship them across the country. And they are your presenting sponsor, correct? They are our branding sponsor, the Sweeney Chevrolet Pace Performance Rush Racing Series. So you touched on the divisions that you work on. You have a very unique formula that has proven to be successful as far as the business models concerned. Can you touch on that for the folks that are listening? Well, obviously, we started with our late model program, and the the ironic thing is, as years have went on, which this year will be Mike Leone, uh, my partner's uh, 14th year of developing crate engine racing throughout the Northeast, Mid-Atlantic, and Canada, but our model basically it revolves around the GM motor, like we just talked about, the Hoosier uh, tires, spec tires. Sunoco race fuels, spec fuels, and uh, on some of my divisions, I run a Bilstein sealed spec shock. So all of our programs are about cost containment, controlling costs, but at the same time, uh, you know, putting a, a great show on for the fans, you know, making this affordable and uh, everything that we've ever developed starting, you know, years ago with our late models, it just lays right over into these other divisions and of course now with our carding program excellent for the folks at, at home who may not be familiar you guys announced at the beginning of the year that you guys are starting a carding series what factored into why you wanted to expand into carding honestly um again uh, i just it was just so ironic to me that everything that we've done with our big card divisions literally laid right over into carding uh we do not allow Tire treating, you know, no, no treating, softening of tires. You know, we do not allow any fuel additives in rush. We do not allow our racers to, 
you know, take a GM performance crate engine and change the cam in it and spend a lot of extra money, you know, doing things that cost money, you know, to compete with other racers. And I honestly, I, I didn't know that much about karting. I had some friends involved in karting and I, I just was hearing some of the different things that was going on and things that were costing people a lot of money. And I'm like, that is just crazy. I do believe that the things that we have developed can help stop a lot of that. Now, the most important thing that people have to remember is, as with any rush division, we're just an option for people, you know, in any class that we're involved in. If people you want to go build an open engine in a late model or a big block or they want to continue to treat tires, which is very, you know, prolific in cart racing, and I'm not going to get into why I feel that's wrong. Uh, if they want to continue to do all those things in any class that Rush, you know, offers a crate option in, then do it. If you don't, maybe look at what Rush is doing. You know what I mean? So mm -hmm. it's a totally different concept, no matter what division, you know, that you like or what you want to be involved in. And uh, so that's kind of why we got involved in karting. We do believe there are people out there even though obviously we got a lot of backlash out of the box about what we're trying to do in the world of carding that don't want to do different things. And they may want to look at this as an option for their kids or even themselves as adults. Well, I think one of the things that you guys bring to the plate is you kind of level the playing field, so to speak, because racers are their own worst enemy. They're going to spend every dime that they can to make the car go faster and you guys kind of rein that in a little bit, which for the small guy who may not have a lot of sponsorship or maybe funding it out of his own pocket, that is key. It is. And that's what I'm proudest of with Rush is keeping people racing. Like you say, we all want to, you know, I'm sure a lot of my late model racers would love to be in the super late and they certainly have the talent to do it. But like you say, they just, they just can't afford to, to do it and compete, you know, so the heart of our program and the heart of the success or whatever success we have with Rush is our technical rules package and the, you know, controlling costs and then not only setting forth a technical rules package for all our classes, but then enforcing those rules, making sure that if we say you have to have a GM performance field motor and you need to have the Rush spec tires not treated or the Sunoco fuel that we are out in the field watching and checking for that and making sure that those type of things aren't going on. And we're very, very proactive in our technical prog program. In talking with a lot of the racers that run in the Rush Series, one of the things they like about your business model is the fact that it lets the talent and the teams shine as opposed to the highest budget uh, getting out front. Absolutely. And again, that that's what's so just awesome. I mean, you know, there's guys that, you know, and families that just, you know, they they just they're right at the at the front all the time and, and some of our racers and, and that's why it keeps growing. We just came off the biggest year we ever had with car counts, both at our weekly tracks increasing, not decreasing, and of course our touring car counts with our late models and our modified, which is kind of a different situation and sadly in racing today, you know, where car counts are increasing, not going backwards. And I attribute that all to our cost containment technical rules package, of course, you know, which is most important. And of course, we surround that with a lot of exciting things like our championship point funds and manufacturer nights and 
So it's not just about the racing. It's about the rules. It's about all the programs and all the different things that we do as a package for our racers. Can you touch on your manufacturer's night? I think that's one of the most incredible programs that's out there because the way it's set up is you're rewarding the racers with products that they can use that are all supporting the Rush Series. So that's, I think it's a wonderful program. Yeah, something that I just decided on a whim one day we were going to try. And when I put the press release out, you know, honestly, I had no contributors to the program, but I had all winter to start working on it. And uh, this past year, we've uh, distributed over $150,000 of actual product to our racers. And it's, you know, it's not certificates towards purchase. I mean, in every single rush class, we have our late models alone, we distributed over $50,000 of product, ranging anywhere from an $1,800 of TBM brakes, where every racer in my late model that attended a late model manufacturer night walked out of there with a product valued at over 300, three to minimum of $300 or more. And, you know, new carburetors, tires, Lincoln welders gives me four or five brand new welders to give away. And anybody attending the event that night providing their cars are rush legal. They do not have to be a member. They come to the event that night and uh, everybody will walk out of there with something. Sometimes, you know, if I have, as an example, 50 prizes and, say, 42 guys show up, some of the guys go out of there with multiple prizes. And all of these things that we're talking about are all going to come to the karting, too, the championship programs and the manufacturer nights and, you know, everything. So, yeah, so our manufacturer nights are pretty unique, and we do them for every single class that we have. And what I like about it is that <laughs> Maybe the money that the guys were going to spend on a new welder or on a new carburetor, they can now take that and put that somewhere else in their program and strengthen it even more. So that's what I love most about the program. And a tip of the cap to you guys for putting it together. I think it's phenomenal. Well, I, I appreciate that. But I'll tell you, I couldn't do anything that we do that Mike and I do without first and foremost, Sweeney Chevrolet pays performance. And if you go and look on our website that our sponsor pages, you know, we are just blessed with support of many, many national companies, MSC, you know, Jones Racing Products, FK Rod, and, and, and these people support us because they know that we work every day to keep people racing at the grassroots level. And those are the people who are important to our industry. And uh, so, you know, it's just amazing that they do for us what they do. Let's take a look at, I know you guys had your banquet this past Saturday. So let's put a bow tie on 2019. You touched on the, uh, the car counts. Uh, what can you, looking back on last year, uh, touch on some of the highlights of the year for you guys? Oh, there were so many. Again, like you say, car counts increasing is always the best thing, but uh a lot of our major events, of course, something close to my heart was the Bill Amick Memorial at Lernerville in conjunction with the Firecracker, our first ever 10,000 to win event, which drew 53 cars, and the racing was phenomenal. Our Battle of the Bay, tremendous, tremendous event uh, that kicks off, will kick off uh, this year in April in the Mid-Atlantic. We had 68 different racers from eight states in Canada support that. And one night rained out, and we lost a few of our Potomac guys, you know. So we feel we would have been well over 75 racers. Our trip to Quebec, I mean, what an experience for the guys that went up there with us. Two nights, two back-to-back -back nights in Quebec, uh, all French-speaking, quite an experience, you know. Just everything. I mean, you know, our, our sportsman deal, I mean, any night you go and 
watch a sportsman modified race. It's just on, on the edge of your seat with, as far as the competition level. Our sprint cars, just in their second year, uh, had close to 30 different competitors and a couple nights exceeding uh, open engine sprint car counts, which, uh, you know, 410s and the 305s and in just the second year. And we feel that it's really, uh, you know, on its way to continuing to grow. We get up and come to work every day, and we just keep trying to create things to keep the racers interested and keep it, you know, under control cost-wise. And so everything's been good so far. So what do you got planned for 2020? Well, we've had our schedules out as far as our late model touring. I guess the biggest news this year uh, on our late model side is due to the overwhelming uh, support and everything and the, the level of competition that we're getting uh, with our late model touring. We have literally doubled our touring point fund. This year, it will pay 12000 to win, which is right up there with any super late series throughout the region. It was 5000 so we've pushed that up to twelve, and every paying position will almost double down through. And it's definitely turned some heads. You know, we had great competitors following us, and I think we're going to pick up another six, seven really heavy hitters that are going to go on the road with us this year. Excellent. Mav TV, you know, we do our Mav TV deal. We were the first ever Crate Late Model Series to be uh, televised on national TV at Weedsport two years ago. This year we'll be in conjunction with a Super Dirt race. You know, that, that's a pretty nice thing, you know, to, to be involved in, to be putting that on national TV. So No doubt the exposure alone is worth its weight in gold. Right, right. You guys had a pretty phenomenal turnout, too, at the Joke George race, if I'm not mistaken. <laughs> yeah. And uh, th- I happened to uh, head out to that race out at Pittsburgh's Pennsylvania Motor Speedway. And if I'm not mistaken, that was the largest point or the largest prize for that event as well. Yes, that Jook George, uh, Brandon Lockovich. I mean, what can you say about Brandon Lockovich? It's, it's just a phenomenal story about his love for Jook George and the Jook, uh, Jook family, how he basically pushes and drives that event. All we do is kind of put our arms around him and, uh, you know, promote it for him and kind of help him, you know, as far as the purse structures and stuff and, and things like that. But that is 100% Brandon Lokovich's uh, baby. And uh, he last year, that he drove that up to a 10000 to win event also. And then he come up with a little program where if the racers threw in, I can't remember if it was 50 or what it was, if they were in the, in the, in the you know, whatever they, that was or whatever he called that, and one, they would get an additional $1,000. So as it turned out, of course, Kyle Lucon had got into that deal, and he ended up winning over $11,000 at the Jook event. And, of course, that event is coming back, too. So you touched on that, and, of course, the Bill Emick Memorial is very dear, near and dear to your heart because of your father, and that's we'll be back at Lernerville uh, again this year. So talk a little bit about how special that is, because I'm sure your dad is who got you into racing. Well, you know, my father owned race cars and uh, for many, many years, over 30 years. He passed at a very young age, 54, and I kept running the cars. Uh, so all told, we, we own cars in the region for uh, 40 years. But you're right. I mean, I always say my dad taught me two things, how to love racing and haul garbage, because we were in the refuge business for years. And <laughs> But my father never left me home in all those years, even as a small child, three or four years old 
would take me. My mother had, did not like racing, so he would take me and never left me home and obviously instilled my love of racing into me from him. And honestly, everything I do every day is to make him proud. And because, uh, again, he was gone very, very young. So, yeah, it's all about Bill. Everything that what Vicky does is all driven deep to, you know, to make him proud. For the folks that are at home that have never gone to one of the local dirt tracks or one of the local asphalt tracks, put on your best sales hat and tell them why, why they should take their entertainment dollar and check out one of the Rush series at one of their local tracks. Well, I think, number one, you know, we are so blessed. I'd be remiss first to not to speak about. We work with 28 different wonderful racetracks from Canada into Delaware that all in some respect run some part of our program on a weekly basis tremendous uh, promoters again i can't do what i do with rush without them so first off you're going to walk into any one of their facilities and it's going to be just you know well taken care of they put their hearts and souls in them and uh, they're taking good care of all their racers because that's the type of people i want to be aligned with and then when rush is there i would say more often than not uh, the rush cars are going to be there that night, and you're going to see the, probably the highest car count usually of any other class in the pit area. And again, like you said earlier in the conversation, you know, our goal was to try to put everybody on a level playing field. So needless to say, when you do that, we know that we have so many talented racers, and uh, we kind of just turn it over to them when the green falls because uh, they're going to give them just tremendous racing. Uh, which was one of the things that I was so excited about with the Bill Emig deal last year is to get to put the Rush Crate rate models in front of an audience of God only knows how many thousands of people that night that maybe had never seen a, a Crate late model type event. And I promise you, uh, I, I assure you those fans were not disappointed that night. Uh, once the uh, 30,000 to win firecracker event was over, you know, I watch everything and those people stayed to watch that 10,000 to win Billy Mc Memorial because our racers had, all, had already proved what great, you know, door-to-door racing that, that they give them. Well, hats off to you, Mike, and everybody at the Rush Racing Series for everything that you do to keep grassroots racing alive in this country because there would be no NASCAR, no IndyCar, no IMSA if guys didn't get their start in their local tracks. So we need folks like you, and we need great support of what you guys are trying to do from folks like Sweeney, as well as the community in general to get out and support the tracks. So hats off to you for everything you guys are doing. We appreciate you coming on the podcast and taking time. Well, thank you. I mean, anytime we get a chance to Talk about Rush and our very unique little niche in the world of racing. You know, we really, really appreciate it. Vicki Emig, thanks for joining us today on the Pittsburgh Racing Now podcast. We will see you this year at the racetracks. Uh, for sure. Thank you. Tons of news this week, including the passing of John Andretti, a versatile driver who won in sprint cars, Indy cars, NASCAR, IMSA, as well as the NHRA. Andretti passed away from colon cancer. A couple of years ago when he was diagnosed, Andretti turned a negative into a positive by starting the Check It for Andretti colon cancer awareness campaign on social media. So if you're over 50, check it for Andretti. It could save your life. 
In NASCAR news, Daniel Suarez announced he'll be joining Gaunt Brothers Racing for the 2020 NASCAR Cup season. Suarez's announcement is one of the many stories you can catch up on by checking out the Racing Notebook, which appears daily on the website pittsburghracingnow.com. Another big story this week was IndyCar star Tony Kanaan's announcement on his plans for 2020. We decided that uh, this year I'm only going to do five races. We're going to start here at this place. I'm doing the ovals only, not by choice. Obviously, my uh, we've been working together through uh, all this winter with IndyCar, with my sponsors, the team, trying to get the funding to, to do a full season, but unfortunately, we came short. While the funding shortfall prevented a full season, TK was appreciative of the sponsors who stepped up to support him. We obviously gathered with ABC, coming back for the 500, and 7-Eleven, Big Machine, Bryant, and ISM. They put a, a lot of effort together. And uh, you guys probably aren't going to see the same car every race, but every sponsor of mine, they've been with me for more than a decade. Step it up for me to do. To give. Canon said Penske Corporation even stepped in to try and help, but with the season a little over a month away, he decided that their efforts should be focused on the series and the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. I didn't feel that I was entitled of saying, you know what? I need everybody's attention because I need to do one last season because that's what I want. I mean, how many things in my life that I wanted that I didn't get? To be honest, in my career, I got everything I want. I want to win a championship, and I want to win the Indy 500. What else am I going to ask? So it wasn't that hard when you think that way. Is it going to be sad? I don't want people to be sad because I'm still being selfish and being truthful. Sometimes I might be glad I'm not in the race car. You never know. You're having a bad week and everybody, you can talk to any driver. You're like, ah, maybe I would love to be home now, you know, and, and, and I won't be home. I'll be doing other things. I'll be racing. But yes, specific about IndyCar, we will figure something else out. I just said I'll be in every race weekend. So in a way, I'll be there. But yes, I'm not going to be in the race car 100%. If you asked me that question 15 years ago, I was going to say, maybe I got the short end of the stick. But after 23 years, I can't really say that. It's not even my right to believe that I'm entitled of having that. Kanan also said this is definitely not the end of him being a race car driver. I don't want anybody to think I'm retiring and I'm disappearing. First of all, I'm, I still can drive with being talks. I mean, over the past year or so, when this rumor started it, uh, we've been talks with IMSA and a bunch of other series. I mean, even Formula E, you talk about stock car in Brazil, people are like, so what are you doing? What are you doing next year? And, and I think this will open an opportunity for me do, you know, Tony Stewart's like, when are you coming back to Eldora? Now I think I can do all those things. And uh, I think I will enjoy it a lot. So hopefully uh, I don't want people to, to get the impression that, that this is it. Canon took time to thank the fans and hopes to see them at the IndyCar races this year. Well, I want to thank them. I mean, I don't think I can express how important they they were on, on many of my decisions in my life. And I think that's why I made sure they I talked about them in the video because they are everything. I mean, obviously, without them, none of us would be here. I'm not done, like I said, so I don't want anybody to be sad. This is a happy day. This is something that I'll have more time for them. I mean, we're working with IndyCar with some new things. The races that I'm not coming, I'm probably going to be a lot more engaged uh, with the fans, which I couldn't do it when I was a full-time. So apart from the five races I'm doing, we'll be in the fan zone. I think we'll be doing some autographs on the side, uh, even probably participating, including the autograph sessions of the races that I'm not in. Um, so actually, they get more time with me. So hopefully, uh, 
that we enjoy more. As TK mentioned, he'll be at all the races this year working with IndyCar to help grow the series. The 2020 IndyCar season a little over a month away, March 15th at the Firestone Grand Prix of St. Petersburg. For more information, visit gpstpete.com. While Kanan's career is in the twilight, third-generation racer Cy Lynch's career is in its infancy compared to TK's. Joining us on the Pittsburgh Racing Now podcast is the driver of the number 42 Mercedes Motorsports 410 Sprint Car, Cy Lynch. Cy, thanks for taking time out to join us. Thank you, guys. It means a lot. Let's take a look back about a lot of folks that are tuning into the podcast are we're trying to introduce them to the racing world, so they may not be familiar with how you got into racing. So can you talk a little bit about when you first got into racing and how you got it in your blood? Uh, well, it was ever since the day I was born, really. You know, both my grandfather's raced and then my dad raced for close to 36 years, I believe. And um, yeah, I mean, ever <laughs> my very first memory is, is just being at a racetrack. So it, it definitely transpired from there. And uh, every weekend, you know, we were always at the races. So that was our vacations. That was our family time. And, and that's what consumed all of our time was, was the racetrack. So it definitely, definitely started with that. So for the folks at home are not familiar, your father is Ed Lynch Jr. And your grandfather is Ed Lynch. That's correct. Yep. When did you decide that you wanted to jump in the car and actually be a driver? I mean, was there a particular age or a particular thing that might have happened that precipitated it? I would say about maybe four years old. As soon as I could, I, I wanted to, to get behind the wheel. But, you know, my dad worked a full-time job Monday to Friday. And a lot of people don't know that. They thought that racing was his full-time gig, but it, it was not. It was uh, kind of a side deal that we did. Uh, he was still able to complete, you know, anywhere from 70 to, I think the most he ever did was 115 races in a year. So we still had a very hectic schedule. But with that being said, I wanted to, I wanted to race from the very beginning, whether it was go-karts or anything that I p could possibly get into, but there was just never time between him working and, you know, my school and, and then uh, every weekend for about, you know, I would say seven months out of the year, we were, we were racing, you know, with him. So just really never had the opportunity until, you know, he was getting close to retirement. And really it was the, the first opportunity that I got to drive a 305, you know, wasn't even a family deal. So I got offered a ride from, you know, another situation and that's kind of where it all kicked from. And what was the first time you got behind the wheel of anything? Was it a go-kart or shifter car? No, no, no. The first time I ever got behind the wheel, I was, uh, I, I think, 15 years old. Uh, we had to lie about my age, really. Whenever I got that 305 operation opportunity, I should say, with the Lockharts. And uh, that was a local Mercer 305 deal. So it was right around 15, 16. And that was the first ever time that I ever crawled in, crawled in anything. I mean, at home we have a decent amount of bar makers and stuff like that. And, you know, so I've always had, uh, I had a go-kart and I, I had a quad that I messed around with, but never, never any, anything competitive or raced against anyone until I was 15 or 16. First time I climbed into a 305. And what do you remember about that first race in that 305? Uh, well, the, the first ever race that I had, I believe I, you'd have to fact check me on this. I don't remember the heat race very well. I remember hot laps and, uh, my speed was not there and, and the heat race, uh, the speed was not there. And, and I was very frustrated with myself because there was a lot of attention on it. And, you know, my dad had a very 
large name at that track and many wins and much success. And, you know, so I was frustrated and, and I believe we started 16th or 17th in the feature and I drove all the way to second place. I almost won. I was, I was very close to the leader, but, uh, finished second. So it was a strict pit area with, with my dad and, you know, tough love was the definition of it. So we weren't happy with being slow and, and that wasn't even an option. You know, he would have taken me out of the ride if I was not competitive. So I didn't really have an option. It was, it was fight or flight and, and that's what it was. Oh, that's a beautiful story. Thanks for sharing it. That's awesome. Thank you. Yeah, no, it's, it is, uh, it's true, you know, and I think nowadays that's kind of, uh, that's kind of a lost thing. You know, there's a lot of participation trophies that are given out and, Times have definitely changed, but uh, that's one thing that I'm thankful for is is the toughness and you know just because your grandfather's and your your dad did well does not mean that you can ride off the coattails of that and of their success. So you know, really, the name is great, the history is great, but uh, you know we're we're out here trying to uh, you know achieve our own things now. I was going to say there has to be some pressure that comes along with carrying that last name. So uh, how do you deal with it? Yeah, there's definitely pressure. I've told people before that there is no pressure, but I realized that I was lying. And, you know, there's nothing wrong with, with telling the truth that, yes, there is pressure. And especially racing at the tracks that he raced at. And, you know, he's he's done very well out. He has 112 feature wins at Lernerville Speedway, and that's my home track. And, you know, he has close to 240 A-Main wins uh, in a sprint car overall. So, you know, just no matter where he went, he was always competitive. And, you know, that's always riding in my mind. And I was at every race that he ever raced in my lifetime. I, I think I only missed one for a baseball tournament. And then the following year, I quit baseball. So, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I never really missed anything. And so I got to see a lot of his success. And even whenever he had bad nights, I got to see how he grew and, and uh, got better, you know, to have more good nights. And so that's kind of the way that we operate. And, you know, we've had good success. We've done some good things in the short amount of time that we've been uh, doing things here. But, yeah, I mean, the pressure uh, couldn't be higher. Uh, and I think anyone who tries to walk in the footsteps of a family member with any type of sport or any type of career path, I think that they would also agree with that. I mean, you know, especially if they were successful in it, if, if your parent was successful in it, yeah, the pressure is, is enormous and the, the footsteps are strides, really. It's not even steps. And the shoes are about a size 16 and you're a size eight, you know, so it's just, uh, there's nothing that can compare to it. Let's take a look back on your 2019 season. You were very busy. You entered a lot of races. So when you look back on it, let's talk a little bit about your season at Lernerville. You were having a great year. You were doing really well in the points and you ended up going down to the Knoxville Nationals. So, you know, that hurt you as far as the points went. But as far as experience goes, I'm sure that was an invaluable lesson. So when you kind of rewind the the calendar or flip the calendar back on 2019, how would you take a look back on the way your season went and talk a little bit about a couple of the different experiences you had? We definitely, uh, we were at Lernerville a decent amount and and mainly the reason for that you know we try to support our local tracks as much as we can but um you know also the local sponsors they they want us to be there that's where they get the most notoriety we try to run i try to run my operation like a business that's the way you have to do it nowadays but i've never fully came right out and committed to running a points deal 
I've never attempted to go after a championship. I've never even led on to that, you know, but I won the TPMS uh, Pittsburgh Motor Speedway uh, championship that they had just a little series deal and, and also at Tri-City uh, kind of fluke things. You know, we just had success there over the races that we were there and, and it led to that. And kind of the same thing with Lernerville this year. You know, I at no point was trying to compete for a championship or, or anything like that. You know, I knew that I was trying to work side deals to get to bigger races with the Kings Row and Knoxville and other deals like that if the All-Stars were within, you know, a reasonable driving distance to us on a Friday. So we finished fifth at uh, Lernerville this year in points, and that's great. That's just, you know, the way that I reflect that is, you know, that just means that every time we were there, we were there to win. And uh, we were able to get three wins there this year. I don't know how out of how many attempts, but, you know, a lot of podiums. So really, that was just the track where we, uh, you know, tried some new things and tried to get comfortable, and uh, we we really used it to uh, experiment. You know, for the most part, whenever we would go to bigger shows like Kings Row and Knoxville. So yeah, we did spread our wings a little bit this year. Uh, we went to I believe nine new racetracks that I've never been to before this season, and and we had great success at all of them. Two in particular, we had fantastic success at Eldora Speedway and Knoxville Raceway for the Nationals. Um, you know, Eldora Speedway, we locked into three out of the four A mains, never touched racetrack before. And that's against, you know, 64 of the best cars in, I would say, the world. Some people say the country, but mm-hmm. matter of opinion. And, and we were able to get quick time out of all 64 on Saturday for the big dance, you know, for the Kings Royal. So went out to Knoxville. We had a lot of bad luck there the first couple of days, a little bit of mechanical wear. You know, every time we touched a track there at first, but finally started getting comfortable on the Friday out there. And we got quick time, I believe, out of 80 cars, if I'm not mistaken, out there. So, yeah, we we finally, you know, we have a great set of notes for whenever we go back this year. And, you know, anything can happen. So I'm not saying our expectations are, are huge, but personally, my expectations are, are uh, pretty high. So, Definitely looking forward to everything this year and, and with Tri-City opening back up in Franklin, PA on Sundays, you know, that gives us somewhere else to go to, uh, you know, to try to build this team up as best we can. I had Jack Sodeman Jr. on the podcast last week and he talked about Tri-City opening back up. So let's touch on that a little bit for, for the local guys. You could do, from what I'm looking at, based on the way the schedules are set up, there's going to be a lot of nights where you're going to be Friday at Lernerville, Saturday at Sharon, Sunday at Tri-Cities. Is that the way it's lining up for you to a certain extent? Uh, yeah, there there will be, you know, certain weekends where that's how it's going to play. And, you know, Fridays are, are honestly just tough because I have a full-time job. Every one of my crew guys has a full-time job. So the closest track that we are to, other than Lernerville on a Friday, would be Williams Grove or Attica, and they're smack dab right in about the same position for us. They're three and a half hours either way. So, you know, that's very tough to do on a Friday. And any vacation time that all of us can accumulate, we try to do it for, uh, you know, for Eldora, you know, some all-star shows that are relatively close in in Knoxville. So, you know, just on a random Friday to try to go out to the Grove or or Attica is is a little bit tough. So that, that puts us at Lernerville. And, you know, Saturdays, yeah, I mean, with Sharon doing three grand to win shows, that has definitely caught our attention. I've had a decent amount of success there at Sharon. We were able to pick up the Fast Series win there last year. You know, and, and Sharon's a fun track, and, and uh, especially I saw today they just released the, the modifications they've made to the fan zone and the infield, and 
I think that's great. You know, that's what tracks need to do. And I've always advocated for fan interaction, fan and driver interaction. So that's what's going to build the sport. And yeah, I mean, things are looking very good for Western PA racing between that and then Tri-City. And so, yeah, there will definitely be a fair amount of weekends where we do hit those three. My biggest thing that I, I've told my team, I've told my sponsors, pretty much from April until September, we're going to be racing three days a week. And where that is, I'm not entirely sure yet. It'll all depend off weather and, and uh, the races that are around us. But, you know, we'll, we'll definitely be racing as much as we possibly can. I feel for you with the Friday thing because with my uh, regular job, uh, a lot of Friday nights, I'm not off the air until 7 o'clock. And I'm, you know, I'm heading from Green Tree up to Lernerville. So a lot of times I'm only getting up there for some of the hot laps or the heat races. But at least I can get up there and check out the features. So I have a hard time sometimes explaining to some of the casual sports fans how difficult it is on the local racers because you know the days are gone and jack touched on this last week where there's you know the guy that owns the gas station who's you know fields a car works on the car and he just has to put somebody in it for a lot of the drivers much like yourself your crew your team you know you're working eight hours a day sometimes nine hours a day and then the the second you get home, you're in your shop working on the race car and, and doing things that you need to do so you can get it to the track on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. That's really the toughest part. You know, a lot of guys, I've talked to Jack. Jack and I are, are good friends, and uh, we talk a decent amount. And really the hardest part is to find guys that can also are compatible with your, your schedule. You know, if, if you have a, a 50 race schedule, you know, that's tough. And if you try to enhance it to a 70 to an 80 race schedule, that's even tougher. So to find guys that, that can commit is tough to find guys that are loyal is tough and, you know, educated is a whole nother thing. So I've always been huge on the loyalty and commitment and the trust. And, uh, you know, I've always said we can teach anyone anything. So, you know, that's how we've kind of formed the team that I have. And, you know, I know Jack has had the, the same, uh, you know, the same crew guys for him as well. So uh, that's what I love about it is that really hasn't changed since my grandfather's race or, or my dad, you know, over 36 years, my dad racing. I think he only had maybe five crew guys total over the course of that 36 years. So, you know, it's a very tight knit family and, uh, you know, that's kind of the way it is in dirt track racing. What are some of the big shows you're going to hit this year? We're looking at definitely going back to the Kings Royal. We're going to go back to the Knoxville Nationals. You know, Tuscarora 50 is, is great. Uh, we're going to go back there. A big thing for me that I wanted to do last year, and we actually had a motor issue the last race at Lernerville there. I wanted to do World Finals down at Charlotte, uh, but things just really didn't pan out right. So we are going to do, we're going to aim for World Finals. We're going to aim for a heavy amount of all-star shows. What Tony Stewart's doing with the All-Stars is fantastic, and uh, we really want to support that as much as we can. And, uh, you know, a select amount of outlaw shows. So I have a schedule in my head, but I have not released it. I, I don't plan on releasing it. But as much racing as we can do, three days a week, anywhere that there's not rain. And, uh, yeah, we're gonna we're definitely going to be at uh, the Kings Row in Knoxville. Those are, those are the only things set in stone that I can say. Everything else will uh, play out by year. Well, keep us in the loop on what you're doing for sure. We uh, definitely want to follow your progress and all the local racers' progress. So anytime you can spread the word about what we're trying to do with the website and growing racing here in western Pennsylvania and really getting at the kind of coverage it deserves, 
because it's difficult with three professional sports teams, as well as the University of Pittsburgh, Duquesne University, Robert Morris, and uh, such a small sports window on television. And, you know, in the radio business, our updates have gotten smaller and smaller. So we're trying to squeeze so much information in. So that's why we're, uh, we've taken to the, the World Wide Web with the website and with the podcast to try and get everybody's stories out there. So we appreciate you taking time out and talking with us. And I wanted to ask you a couple of things. You touched on it a little bit. I think with your last name, I think some people think that, you know, you're jumping into a car that you were hand-given everything. And I know that's just not the case. So let's kind of dispel those rumors right now. <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, that couldn't be further from the truth if it tried. But, you know, there's a lot of naysayers. There's a lot of haters. And I've never, I've been uh, fairly quiet on, on social media. And, and I really, uh, you know, there's only a select group of people that know the truth. And, but yeah, no, I, I was, uh, I was given one frame by my father. It was a very, it was a bent frame. Uh, you know, it won him a lot of races, but it, it was not a, a brand new anything. I, I, I never had anything new, uh, until I would say last season, maybe it was the first time we started acquiring new things. And, but yeah, no, whenever it all started, uh, four years ago, I, I was given one frame and my dad said, if you want to, if you want to do it, you got to do it on your own, you know, and, and he, he always paid for his racing out of his own pocket, and and he expected me to do the same. He, you know, uh, and that's, that's the truth to it. And whenever I say tough love, that is the definition of it. So not only you know, in some other sports, people expect tough love to be like, well, I can't hand you talent. You have to create your own talent. Well, this was not only can I not hand you the talent, but I can't hand you the material. So you know, it, it was all the way around. And so yeah, I was given uh, given a frame. I had to make everything else happen. And the only way to do that was through sponsorship because I was, you know, I was, uh, I think at that time, 17 years old and 17 or 18, I, I don't quite remember. And, you know, my day job could not cover anything really. So I was struggling to put gas in my car and simple things like that. So, you know, I really had to locate sponsorship and, and I had to learn the tools of marketing as best as I could. And Methodist Motorsports was just a true connection and I really, you know, all credit goes to him and that entire brand on that end. You know, without them, it wouldn't have been possible. They were really the first company to to take me seriously and to see an opportunity. And, uh, you know, I always compared it to the to the Rusty's thing on, on Lightning McQueen with cars and that movie. Rusty's gave them the big break. And, and you know, that's, that's what Methodist Motorsports did for me. They helped me out, you know, just to get me a, an operating race car. And we were only able to do 18 shows that first season. And, and that's what we did. And But it escalated. And, you know, I got second quick time at the Commonwealth Clash and finished second in the heat race to Donnie Shots. And, you know, we, we had a, a fairly good season for my first real season in the 410. And so then I kind of built from there. And, and I, you know, every off season, I've always said the off seasons are, are more stressful than the race seasons because the off season is whenever you're searching for more speed and, and how to get it. And, you know, you, you have to now become a marketer and a, and a businessman, you know, to make ends meet for the next nine months. So it's a very stressful time. And but that's what we that's what we try to hone in on. And, uh, you know, over the past two off-seasons, we've done very well. Mesitis Motorsports has um, has been fantastic to us. And, you know, we continue to build that partnership with them. And uh, we've also welcomed some new people. And 
uh, all American framers. I'm very excited for, you know, for their partnership uh, in the 2020 season and, uh, you know, Tomo Meat Markets and, uh, you know, just just different people that we're still closing the deal on. You know, I'm hoping within the next couple of weeks here, I can release new names. But, you know, sponsorship and partnership is uh, what makes this sport uh, go. And it's uh, all forms of racing, you know, NASCAR and, and everything like that. So it's key for sure. Other than your family, your dad and your grandfather, who were some of the drivers you idolized growing up, you know, taking a step back of it, looking at it from a race fan? I was always a big fan of Steve Kinzer and, and Sammy Swindell. You know, I really, I looked up to them and, and, you know, I guess I had a different viewpoint on it than most people. A lot of people didn't like certain drivers if they had success or were winning all the time, but I looked at it as that's who you look up to. I mean, if, if you want to, if you're just a, a fan, you know, then sure, that's irritating to watch the same person win all the time. But if it's something that you want to pursue, I mean, if you're in golfing, I don't know how you can't look up to Tiger Woods or if you're in basketball how can't you look up to Kobe Bryant and LeBron you know you you look up to the guys that were extremely successful and especially within the past 10 to 12 years I mean what Donnie Schatz has been doing is you know just remarkable and and the consistency and uh, especially with all the competition that there is nowadays and really the levelness that there is on the equipment you know everyone has very good equipment and everyone has very competitive equipment so anyone that can rattle off many many championships wins and consecutive Knoxville Nationals I mean that's uh that's very impressive so I would say those three guys are are the top ones and you know to be able to build closer relationships with some other drivers uh has been very influential with me you know just uh on a on a driver to driver perspective for sure you touched on social media a little bit and how it can be a dual-edged sword one of the things Jack and I were talking about last week was it seems like some guys when they go on social media, they, they want to air their gripes or they want to bitch about something instead of accentuating the positive about such great racing that we have in Western PA so that we can try and help grow the sport, help the tracks grow the purses, attract more sponsors. It's, you know, they're all interconnected. And I think sometimes guys lose focus and and I know a lot of it is emotion or it might be, you know, it's the heat of the battle and you're frustrated and and whatnot. But Jack touched on something. He said he, he would like to see a lot of the guys, you know, going forward accentuate the positive so we can help grow the sport. And uh, And you touched on how selective you are at some of the things that you do. And I think that's very key because you're not only a representative of your own brand of side Lynch, but you're also a representative of Mercedes and your other sponsors. Yeah. And, and that's something, that's something that is huge in my opinion. And I've had a very strong viewpoint on it as far as social media goes in general. And, and my opinion is if you want to, to have a page to complain about things or something like that, then more power to you. But nothing irritates me more than whenever people try to have a page that they complain about things. And then, you know, within three months later, they're trying to sell something or they're trying to, to look for partnership or they're trying to, to seek opportunity or something like that. And it's, it's kind of ridiculous to me because I, I don't know if people just have short-term memory or, or what it is, but there are many times where people don't think before they speak. And, uh, you know, to me, it's laughable. And, you know, there's a lot of people out there that have nothing invested and, and they truly just have nothing better to do than to, to sit on a keyboard. So, you know, my dad uh, never really had the, the social media thing. I think back then it was more 
of Hoseheads or whatever that uh, website was many, 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 many years ago. But, uh, you know, he was heavily hated and, and he never even once uh, had anything to do with Hoseheads or anything like that. But man, every week, you know, they would find something to bash him on. And, and it was one of those things where I looked at that and every hour, you know, you could update Hoseheads and there was something bashful against my dad or how he was a, a dirty driver or you know, they were tired of him winning or he's cheating or yada, yada, yada. And meanwhile, every one of those hours, he was in the race shop and, and he was engineering new speed and he was trying to figure out how to get better. You know, good was never good enough and fast was never fast enough. So that was really what I looked at. And now it's even more critical with social media and everyone has a very close eye on you and anything you do say can come back to haunt you. So yeah, I, I definitely think that in a broad aspect, Yes, you know, there should be more positivity spread, but I would say more of a professional outlook. I don't think there's anything wrong. If you don't agree with someone, you know, don't blow smoke up their butt and say that it's, uh, you know, kosher. But at the same time, if you don't have a if you don't have a professional difference in discussion, then you're really not helping the situation. If you just want to, like you said, bitch about something, then you're wasting your finger power, I guess, is the best way to say it. So I definitely, you know, especially with politics nowadays and, and everything, I've I've muted more people on my Facebook timeline than I've ever done before. And um, it's truly ridiculous. And, you know, even in racing, it's, it's the same. And, uh, you know, people bash racetracks and people bash other drivers and people will go after other people's sponsors. So it's, uh, it's a dog-eat-dog world. And I'm not surprised, but We'll see what happens. We'll, you know, we had a long off season here, and we'll see who truly was working on their cars and who was truly, you know, building up their thumb power to, uh, you know, bash someone else throughout the season. So we'll see. It'll all it'll all be, uh, you know, proven here shortly. So you got Mercedes Motorsports coming back. You mentioned a couple of your other sponsors. When you get any other deals done, let us know. We run a daily notebook that we've started this year on the website. So we'd love to add whatever information or whatever news we got coming out of the side lynch camp. We'll add it to the notebook every day or whatever uh, you get your deals done. And if you have anything you need to get out as far as news about the team or about your sponsor or anything like that, shoot it on over. We'll be more than happy to add it to the website. That sounds great. Yeah, I really appreciate it. And uh, thank you guys. I think what you guys are doing is, is fantastic. And, you know, any way that we can build up the sport, whether it's in this region or, uh, you know, across the nation. I think that that's uh, fantastic. And yeah, without our sponsors, uh, you know, uh, Mephitis Motorsports, All-American Framers, Fenway Meat Markets, J&J Chassis and Kistler Engines, Ultralight Brakes, I hope to have even more, you know, even more sponsors, partners, you know, and, and we really look to uh, have a great 2020 season. So hope to be talking to you guys soon. Put your marketing hat on for all the sponsors that are out there listening. Why should they get involved in local Western Pennsylvania racing? And why should they get involved in your team in particular? I've always had a very different outlook on things. You know, people, people, uh, you know, try to try to talk to sponsors and they try to say that, you know, well, we need this much money. And, and I, money is the final thing. The last thing that I, I talk about, you know, and a lot of people also, I think, miss the concept where they're just, they look at things and they're like, well, this is, you know, we can get you this much notoriety. And, and the way that I view things is, um, you know, is, is a little bit different. And I'm looking at uh, building relationships. Some of the best 
sponsors in all forms of racing have been long-term uh, relationships. And really, if you talk to those people that they've had relationships with the teams, it's really like family, you know, and, and that's what I consider my sponsors. You know, I've built very close relationships with, you know, Methodist Motorsports and All-American Framers and Toma. And, you know, the other thing, if you're, if you're trying to land uh, a sponsor, you have to talk about, yes, how it's beneficial to them and to their business, but how much can you offer? You know, sometimes just a spot on the car is not enough, you know, and you got to look at uh, different avenues and truly what is their market? If they're selling candles, you know, I don't think you should lie to them and tell them that, you know, the 5,000 fans in the stands are going to want to buy your candles by seeing a race car go around the racetrack. I don't know if that's the right target market, but um, you, you have to find the people that would have invested interest in, in uh, what you do and what you can advertise. So that's definitely how we approach things. And, you know, it's not easy. I can also say that uh, locating sponsors and trying to build relationships is by far, in my opinion, one of the hardest things to do. And that's in all forms of racing. I mean, you see a lot of NASCAR drivers losing rides and bouncing around rides because of lost sponsorships or, or no sponsorships. So it's massive. And uh, it's a trickle-down effect all the way to local local racing, and that's just the way it is. All the more reason for the local race fans to come out and pack the seats so we can help the tracks. And with Tri-City reopening, we need to keep Lernerville, Sharon, Pennsylvania Motor Speedway healthy. So we need the fans to come out, show up, and support young racers like yourself and all the guys that are out there because we know how hard each and every one of you work. It really is amazing to see all the time and the effort that everyone puts in. And, you know, that's what I love about it is, in my opinion, there's there's no one more passionate about what they do than race car people, including fans and crews and drivers. You know, it really is a tight-knit family. And, uh, you know, with any other sport, you know, you look at football, there's only, whatever, 16 weeks of uh, season, you know, in, in a regular season. But with racing, you know, I think the World of Outlaws do close to 90 shows. The All-Stars are doing about 60 shows. And, you know, even locally, I mean, tracks are trying to start up as early as they can you know and end as late as they can so it's crazy the passion that there is and uh we hope to welcome new fans and you know please come out and, and experience at one time i've always said if you come out and if you experience at one time and if you truly don't like it then i'll believe you but until then i don't believe you <laughs> i don't see how anyone could not like dirt track racing or, or sprint car racing in particular so yeah just hope that everyone uh Everyone comes out and supports us. Well said, Cy. Hey, we appreciate you taking time to join us here on the Pittsburgh Racing Now podcast. We wish you the best of luck in 2020. Keep us up to speed on what you're doing, and we hope you grab a bunch of checkered flags along the way. All right, guys. Thank you so much. And, uh, yes, I'll be talking to you guys very soon. That will bring out the checkered flag on Episode 2 of the Pittsburgh Racing Now podcast. Thanks again to our guest, Vicki Emig of the Rush Racing Series and Cy Lynch, driver of the number 42, Mesitis Motorsports 410 Sprint Car. And thanks to you for joining us, race fans. Don't forget to stay up to speed with all of the local racing news, as well as the latest in the world of NASCAR, IndyCar, and sports cars by clicking on PittsburghRacingNow.com. I'm Scott Stiller. Talk to you next week. <laughs>